0: Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 14th of November, uh, September. H- how about September?
1: That's, I was just about to say, just, and Giselle, you didn't say Giselle, by the way.
0: Oh Well, you interrupted me. I'm still stumbling over the date as I do every Saturday morning. Let me finish. It is the 14th of September. I'm Giselle Hanna and you're listening to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR.
1: And good morning, (laughs) listeners, and my name is Pierre Morrow, and you certainly came out loud and strong before, almost as as strong and alive as your hair this morning, (laughs) Giselle. um, Did you
0: know that we do radio, Pierre? No one can see me.
1: (laughs) That's right. It's painting a picture with words. You should have. You should remember that from your radio <laughs> oh, training. Oh,
0: delightful, delightful.
1: That's right. We've, but we've got so um, we've got um, a, a show full of interesting uh, news, but also very importantly, about quarter uh, actually before quarter past um, five, uh, nine, uh, probably around uh, twelve past nine. We've got a very interesting interview um, with a uh, activist, a socialist activist in Hong Kong about the protests. So we'll give a very um, uh, analysis, very interesting analysis about the the um the politics and we've got our usual labor roundup but of course if you want to get in touch with us giselle
0: that's right you can find us on the web or the w's dot aawl dot org dot au we're on facebook and twitter so find us on those social media platforms and we continue to post news and information and current affairs about labor movement issues across the asia pacific region
1: that's right. And before we get on to the Labor updates from the region, just uh, uh, thanks to Solidarity Breakfast for another interesting program. And that music was Never Look Back by Cindy Bostel. although it was a very long song and I really uh, cut it with about four minutes to go. But there you go. Blame Solidarity Breakfast. I'd like
0: to. I think
1: we should. That's good. That's good. Uh, But it is three past nine o'clock. We've got to get to those news items. And I think you've got the right first one. That's
0: right. Time now for news from around the region. And we're going to start in Palestine last Friday week during the weekly protest by the new grouping of the March for the Right of Return Commission. Two Palestinian demonstrators were shot dead by the Israeli military. These demonstrations near the border with Israel have been a weekly occurrence since March last year and are an attempt to focus the struggle on the right of return for Palestinians to their land. Around 6,000 participated in this last March, with around 75 of them being injured by Israeli gunfire. The fact that most of these gunfire wounds were to the upper part of the body shows that the Israeli military was directly targeting the demonstrators for maximum damage.
1: I mean, it's incredible. We, um, it's not in the news anymore, but if the weekly marches, obviously um, a lot of them put themselves on the line of fire uh, every week. So respect to our comrades in Palestine. We're now going nearby in Iran, where unfortunately this week uh, three Labor activists and four journalists were sentenced um, to up to 18 years in jail each. Uh, they were all convicted on the grounds of national national security. And I actually believe I, I saw some more recent News that some actually got um, uh, lashes as well on top of these sentences. But these sentences come less than a year after workers' rights activists in southwestern Iran publicised evidence that intelligent ministry agents had tortured Daytonese. And, um, Daytonese. and instead of uh, investigating this uh, allegation of torture, their government, uh, not surprisingly, has cracked down on these active activists that have exposed these abuses what these sentences represent are the government intention to crack down hard against the the years of protest at the Haftape sugar mill in the city of Shus in Khuzestan province and um, as regular listeners would know we've often brought you updates on the Haftape sugar Uh, struggle and they seem to be an incredible group of hundreds of militant uh, and radical labour activists and uh, they've really uh, done incredible things so um, again um, in solidarity to you people.
0: And in Turkey, another anti-government politician has been sentenced, Kanan Kaftan Cioglu, a 47-year-old politician who heads the main opposition Republican People's Party in Istanbul, uh, which is Turkey's largest city. He was recently sentenced to nearly 10 years in jail for terror, propaganda and insults against the Turkish state. Sorry, um, Kanan is a woman. Her crime was for a series of tweets she made years ago that were critical of the government's crackdown on other Labor and human rights activists. The reality is that Kaftan uh, Chioglu has been targeted as she played a key role in the um, Republican People's Party's triumph in Istanbul's mayoral election in June, defeating the government the governing AKP party. Her sentencing is on the back of other recent arrests of the anti-government activists.
1: Giselle, I think that might need some gender, gender equity training for <laughs> you in the future, but that's Enough. we'll talk about after the show. But um, we now go to Indonesia, where this might sound actually, it's a, it's a bad news story, but there's actually a bit of positivity to it as well, because it is an arrest. Uh, but Renny Desmiri, the Secretary of the SBBMI Union of Workers at the Seafood Processor uh, BMI in Lampung, Indonesia, has just been sentenced to a further four months in prison on the grounds of fraud. She's actually been in jail since May when she was first arrested. Now, she was arrested then after the company complained to the police that she um, had submitted a fake high school certificate when she first applies, applied for work at BMI eight years ago. The company had actually demanded that maximum sentence of six years. The the reality was that Rani was a fantastic union organizer and had brought workers into a fight into a fighting union, and the company wanted to shut her up. Now, the fact that she only got a few months of jail instead of six years is a reflection of the pressure from local international labor activists supporting her case. The workers at BMI, uh, instead of being um, uh, scared by by this, are now taking criminal action against the company for unpaid wages and other breaches of contract legislation. Over the last few years. So, not, she's still got a bit of gel, but. You know, all the pressure did um, do some uh, um, positive outcomes.
0: And in South Korea, auto workers are on strike again this week. On Monday, unionized workers at GM Korea Company staged a two-day full-scale strike for the first time in 22 years as they demanded an increase in wages. Despite warnings from the company's global headquarters, some 8,000 workers participated in the walk-off at the plant in at, at the plants in Incheon. Uh, in west of Seoul and Changwon, uh, which is also very close to actually 400 kilometres southeast of the capital. This comes on the back of four partial strikes last month and an overtime boycott since mid-August. Another 2,000 employees at GM. Korea's R&D unit, uh, the GM Technical Centre Korea, they also joined the strike later in the day. The union demands include a 5.7% increase in basic monthly salary and one and a half months of wages in performance-based pay and a cash bonus worth 6.5 million won, which is about 5,400 per worker. In response, GM International Operations Senior Vice President Jul- Julian Blissett declared that management was very disappointed and threatened that production, and therefore jobs, would be cut in South Korea if workers did not accept lower paying conditions. They're always
1: disappointed, aren't they, aren't these they? managers? Yes. Um, we now go to Thailand for our last item where un- there's been some unfortunate developments. Human rights groups in Thailand have urged the government to investigate the unexplained disappear- disappearance for the last two weeks of Odd Savayong, who is a prominent pro-democracy activist from uh, Laos and, who's a, uh, and is 34 years old. Now, the pro-democracy campaigner had been living in Thailand as he sought resettlement to a third country uh, by the UN and was connected to a uh, human right right and migrant workers uh, group uh, living in exile in Bangkok who held occasional protests and peacefully advocated for human rights and democracy in Laos Savayong's disappearance has heightened fears among activists that governments in Southeast Asia are now collectively targeting exiled foreign activists of each other's countries living in their own countries as part of a regional crackdown on dissent so we'll certainly keep an eye on uh, this uh, issue but that's all that we've got today for the um news roundup. We'll have a um, short community um, announcement and we'll be back with the main interview on the Hong Kong protests.
0: This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986,
1: It's just uh, on 11 past 9 o'clock here on Asia Pacific Current on 3CR Radio favourite community radio station. Asia Pacific Current is brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. Now as uh, most people know there's been huge protests in Hong Kong for over three months. Now we've, uh, we we're lucky um, a couple of days ago we, um, we interviewed um, Jaco from the Socialist uh, Forum about, the, um, about these protests and he gave us a good analysis of who's involved, what are the, um, what are the main demands and what are the uh, organisations and its relationship to mainland China. The proposed extradition that the government um, in Hong Kong wanted to introduce generated a huge uh, opposition, uh, an opposition in the millions of, of people came onto the street. Why did it generate such a huge opposition?
2: The extradition law itself, I would say it is a catalyst for this mass movement. But there has been a accumulation of mass anger, especially for the over the past five years. First, there was an economic problem in Hong Kong, the big health, uh, wealth gap in Hong Kong, and the biggest wealth gap in the all advanced economy in Hong Kong, and the extremely high housing price in Hong Kong that most uh, young people and ordinary workers cannot afford. But also, over the past five years, there has been a, a big attack on the democratic rights in Hong Kong. After the defeat of the Umbrella Movement in 2014, the government has been launching a very severe attack on democratic rights like disqualify the elected legislators just because they are in opposition or they try to pass a national anthem law, which means sentence people for three years who do not respect the national anthem. And there are many, many other new repressive laws uh, passed over the past, uh, past five years. And so the extradition law, we can say, it, is a, it reached a critical point where Marx people feel that they can no longer tolerate. And that's why it triggered such a huge movement.
1: The protests are now been going on for over three months. So from the outside, it's difficult to see who are the main groups or main sectors of society that are organising these demonstrations. Can you explain to us which organisations or groups of people are behind these demonstrations?
2: The largest group or organization in the demonstration is no group, because the movement is largely leaderless, and no any organization or even no political ideology can dominate in this movement. In the political map in Hong Kong, there are, of course, there are pro-Beijing, pro-CCP parties in Hong Kong, and there are also in the opposition, there are mainly the liberals, the pan-democratic parties. They hold the like they hold the biggest uh, number of seats in the parliament, and they also have a the liberal machinery uh, for them. But they cannot really direct or lead the movement because the mass people have a strong distrust to them. They learned from the lesson in 2014 when the pan-democratic parties they tried uh, to call off the movement and betray the mass people. And that's why people think that all leaders, we should not trust any leaders. And there should be no organization that can control our movement. There's a strong anti-party or anti-politician mood in this movement. And that's why there are no groups or any sectors who can really lead the movement. You can see most demonstrations, there are large, flow logos or no uh, party banners.
1: Obviously, Hong Kong is part of, of China, even though there is a two-system in place. Are there any links to human rights or labour groups in the rest of mainland China?
2: So, this fashion, we try to build our organisation in uh, Hong Kong and also in mainland China. And our group in mainland China is an underground organisation, and we operate illegally and we try to spread our movement the message of our movement also to mainland china and we got quite a lot of young people to support like with our magazine socially we got quite a wide widely of young people support and they are yeah they are observing and try to learn from the movement in hong kong and i think there are bigger left-wing young people in china today they are becoming more sympathetic to the movement in hong kong and the most Left wing in China, they regard themselves as Maoists, but the new generation of the so-called Maoists, they are not really the same as the old layer. They are more open to the democracy struggle and also the international movement in the whole world. So we try to build up this link with them also.
1: So are you saying that information uh, of the Hong Kong protest movements and the issues is actually getting into the rest of mainland China and a lot of people are discussing it?
2: In Because of the censorship uh, in the media and also internet, it is not a mass audience or a very big coverage in the media in China. But through internet, yeah, there are young people, they try to discuss it on the internet when they find a way to overcome the firewall. And also because the same media in China they are attacking the movement in Hong Kong every day, saying it is a color resolution or it is a violent action. And but there are a layer of mainland Chinese people, they try to overcome the firewall. They try to buy some device that can help them to watch the T V in Hong Kong. So there is a kind of curious among the mainland Chinese people, they want to know the truth about the protests in Hong Kong and they don't trust the media in China.
1: Obviously, you're an organised left-wing group in, uh, in Hong Kong. So would you be able to tell us, even though you've said the movement is leaderless, they don't trust political parties, how would you rate the strength of left-wing labour groups within the the big protest movement in Hong Kong?
2: For Socialist Action, we have been very active participating in all demonstrations for over the past half year because actually the movement started in March when it was a smaller demonstration with 10,000 people. And Socialist Action, for us, we raised our political ideas how we can strengthen our movement in order to defeat the dictatorship and also to challenge the capitalist system, and in Hong Kong, before the 9th of June, uh, the idea of strike workers' strike action was seen as impossible to realise, and Socialist Action was the only organisation campaigning for workers' strike before the 9th of June. And then on 9th of June, when 1 million people marched on the street and the government refused to back down, they want to go ahead with the extradition bill. And then on internet, there was a lot of people suddenly discussing how to escalate the movement with strike action. And then more labour groups, other reformist labour groups, uh, left organisation, they are also pushed to discuss or even try to do something uh, on a strike action. Uh, Socialist action, I I think our work, our campaign to spread the idea of strike plays some role in this movement. And also, we spread our idea, the need for spread our movement from Hong Kong to mainland China, which is now not yet seen as a, a main idea in the movement. Most people still think this is a movement about Hong Kong. Uh, we stress the need to stress the move, spread the movement to China because we know Hong Kong as one city, we cannot win alone because CCP is a, is a regime ruling 1.3 billion people, and that's why the working class in China and the mass protests in China now happening today, that it is the target that we can try to unite with them to, in order to, together to fight against the regime. So, one of our important part of our slogan is to spread the movement from Hong Kong to China. And we did have some effect, like in some demonstrations, some protesters they also try to give a leaflets to the mainland tourists in Hong Kong, and they try to explain the protests to the mainland Chinese tourists. So uh, we think this, uh, more and more people they will discover the need for spreading the movement to China.
1: The next question really is about one part of the demonstrations that we saw in the last couple of weeks that was a relatively sizable number of people who were demonstrating outside the US uh, consulate calling for the US government to protect them and to protect democracy. It seemed a very uh, strange thing to do and politically you would think were they totally right wing or... Were they very naive or were they desperate?
2: Yes, there's a certain illusion uh, among the Hong Kong protesters to the US or Western government. This idea mainly comes from the tradition of the Liberals, the Pan-Democratic parties in Hong Kong. And they try to seek like a US or the British government to support democracy in Hong Kong, which uh, never happened for decades. And uh, because... The government, they want to do business and have a good relationship with China. Yeah, there's a quite sizable demonstration on Sunday. People marching to the U.S. embassy and to hope the government, Trump government can support the democ- uh, democracy movement in Hong Kong. And we know that the U.S. government, they never care the democratic rights of people in Hong Kong or China. And, um, but they now, they may want to use this issue as a toll to put pressure on, the, onto the Chinese government because now the China-US conflict uh, escalates and they try, they want to use this issue to put pressure on the Xi Jinping to get more benefits on the, on the trade deals and also in the geopolitical uh, conflict. And that's why we stress that we should seek international solidarity with the uh working class people, young people, trade unions or activist groups uh all around the world, but not with these governments and um, because they will not really care. And now it seems like that yes, yeah, it's possible the Human Rights Act is possible to be part in the US Congress. But I think it will largely be very true. It will not it will. It, they may do some kind of sanction in some individual politicians, or they will kick out some mainland Chinese students uh, from US, and this will make it with some kind of racist attack. Also, yes, we think this will not help. The will not really fundamentally challenge the CCP, and also it will have play into the hands of the dictators because they will use it to say that Hong Kong protest is sponsored or supported by the US which is actually not true, and they will want to use it to divide the Hong Kong people and the mainland Chinese people. And that's why we don't support any uh, U.S. intervention or, of course, or Chinese intervention.
1: And the last question, you've uh, explained quite well some of the tensions and the, the groups and the uh, issues facing you, but the protests have now been going for over three months. The repression is increasing. Oh, well over a thousand people have been arrested. Where to for the movement, and what strategies is it going to use?
2: Now the mass protest is still very active. People are still inside, very high morale, and there's no signs of exhaustion. Uh, at the same time, the movement. There's a stalemate in the movement. The government refused to further back down. They did some fake concession to withdraw the bill, but they will continue and to escalate the repression in order to, and also to delay. They hope that this can uh, exhaust the mass movement in the next period. And uh, we feel that they, yes, there's a need for a clear strategy and leadership to uh, have a big fruit for the movement. And, uh, including strike action, uh, a real general strike action. There were two attempts, two times of, uh, strike happened in, in 5th of August and in 3rd and of September. Uh, but it's not, not yet the, the trade unions in Hong Kong are too weak and there's no, uh, there's no clear leadership to lead the strike. So most workers, they only talk holiday spontaneously, but not as a collective strike action. And that's why we think there's a need to build a stronger trade unions and strike committees in order to organize another stronger strike action. And actually, Socialist Action has our own member, what that, in from HSBC, the multinational bank in Hong Kong, for just organizing, unions, uh, organizing trade unions in Hong Kong. And that's why we are also uh, calling protests in Hong Kong and also asking for international working class solidarity. And we hope that our attempt to form unions can show an example to other workers also that Hong Kong needs much stronger mass trade union and in, a uh, in working class organization in order to lead the movement further. And also we think that they need to change our tactics from mostly confrontational methods with the police on the street or occupation to the model of working class organization and struggle. And also, yeah, as I said, the need for spread the movement to mainland China, because mainland China is also the regime in a big crisis now, and there are all different kinds of issues in mainland China, it's possible they will also have their own issues from the protest. At the first point, they may not really uh, unite with the democracy movement in Hong Kong, but if they will have their own issues, big mass protest in China exploding, and people will see the better, the, the power of the mass movement in China. And that's the opportunity for us to unite with the movement in, in mainland, with mainland China also. So that's what we also trying to uh, spread our ideas. And the next important day will be uh, 1st of October, when it is the day that uh, is the foundation of the, the Chinese regime today. Because in 1949, 1st of October, CCP took power in China, and the regime will celebrate, and the mass protest in Hong Kong will will happen against the Chinese regime, and that will be an important day also to show our strength, and we will continue to spread our ideas and to campaign to build a strong uh, working-class party in Hong Kong in order to change the direction of the movement.
1: Thank you um, very much for that explanation and uh, we'll certainly keep abreast of the developments. So, Jaco, thank you very much and we wish you all the best.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au 3cr the voice of dissent
1: And uh, it's just on 9.29 here on Saturday morning on Asia-Pacific Currents, on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio. You were listening to Jaco from the Socialist Forum about the Hong Kong protests. So um, certainly lots there to think about and lots there to support and to get involved. I was certainly... um, We'll keep abreast on the developments. But um, we're really at the end of another program of Asia-Pacific Currents, so we'll be back again next week at um, 9 o'clock. But uh, stay tuned, 3CR. We'll have Palestine Remembered coming up uh, straight um, after our show. But uh, it's all from me, Pierre.
0: And me, Giselle. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.